0: Hi, I'm Hannah Anderson, and this is Max Anderson, and we, together with our three children, are serving in Honduras right now. We really, really miss you guys, and we also really appreciate your prayers and your encouragement. Now, I'm going to be doing a scripture reading this morning. We are in the book of John, chapter 4, starting with verse 46 and reading to the end of the chapter. Uh, that can be found on page 889 of your Pew Bible.
1: was dying, what would you be willing to do? If your child was dying, what would you be willing to do? I mean, put yourself in this dad's shoes for just a moment. Because sometimes I think it's easy to read these stories in the Bible and, and forget that they are actually the stories of, of real people, uh, just like you, just like me. And this experience that they're having is, is one that many parents have had of a child who is sick, who is dying, what would you be willing to do in that moment? If your child was dying, can you imagine? I mean, this, this little boy, we don't know how old he was. I mean, the word that's used for child here uh, can mean an, an infant, like a brand new baby, uh, or a, a child all the way up to, to 10, 11 years old. do you know how old this, this little boy was, but, you know, he got sick. And I'm sure at first his parents thought, you know, kids get sick. I'm sure he's going to get better but then he didn't and, and and he kept being sick and they thought well maybe next week he'll start feeling a little better but he didn't get better he got worse and and then they started trying everything they knew they they talked to everyone that they that they knew there in Capernaum who was knew anything about sickness or healing and and they tried everything and he was not only not getting better it's obvious he's dying He's dying. He doesn't look like he's going to get better. But then you hear that there is someone who has come to the region you're in, not to your town, but but close enough that you could get there, who's been known to do miracles, even to heal people. And and you don't know if it's true, and and you don't know if all the stories about him are, are the real deal, but there's a chance that maybe... He might be able to help you if you could just get him to come and and see your child maybe maybe he could heal them and so it's a long shot but you go it's all you've got left and and it's in this dad that we get a picture of what real faith what true faith is because true faith is is not wishful thinking it's not a, a, a heritage or a set of Christian values. It's not, um, you know, sort of a positive lifestyle brand. It, it's not even something that's just isolated to your heart. So, so what is true faith? Well, that's what we're going to see in this encounter that Jesus has with this desperate dad and so if you haven't already, I'd encourage you to open a Bible to John chapter 4. You can grab the, the Pew Bible again in front of you. It's on page 889 there. Um, also, you can just grab your phone type in John and the number 4, and that will pull up in Google a number of websites where you can look at this passage together. I would love for you to follow along. And John, who is the author, the human author of this book, uh, was one of Jesus' closest friends one of his first disciples, and John is writing these things down, everything that we have in the gospel. He's writing down for us really to answer two questions, and those questions are, who is Jesus, and why should I trust him? Who is Jesus, and why should I trust him? Why should I believe in him? This is why John is writing. It's why he's selected all the particular things that he's included in his account of Jesus' life. And that's what we see in this story. the story. one of the answers to the question, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? What does it mean to trust Jesus? And so as John opens the story, we meet this desperate dad. And John tells us that this dad is a royal official. He's a royal official. Um, we don't get much more detail on that. Scholars think that it's likely that he worked for Herod Antipas. Now, Herod was, was a king over a region of this part of the world, but he was kind of a puppet king under the authority of Rome. So the Roman Empire is in charge of everything, but they had installed a number of other kind of rulers in these different places, and Herod Antipas was one of those. It's likely that this official worked in Herod Antipas's government. Now, we don't know if he was a Jew or a non Jew, but we know either way, he would have been considered an outcast by sort of devout Jews. Because he's a non Jew, he's he's a Gentile, he's an outsider in that way. But if he is a Jew, then he would have been considered a collaborator, a traitor. He's working with this kind of puppet government under the authority of the, the Romans. He would have been seen like a kind of a tax collector tied up in this whole system of Roman rule. And so it may be a bit of a stretch from me, I'm going to go to this this Jewish rabbi, this Jewish teacher to try to get healing for my son. But he's desperate. And so when he hears that this teacher who has shown the ability to work miracles has returned to Galilee from Judea in the south, he drops everything and he goes. Take a look at verse 46. So he came, that's Jesus, he, Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him. Now, Judea is in the south. Galilee is in the north. And Galilee is a region, and both Capernaum and Cana are in that same region, but they're not particularly close if you have to walk. right? So here's the map. So down there right by the Sea of Galilee, you see there Capernaum's right there on the seashore, and then Cana is kind of up there in the, in the hill country and it's a 20-mile walk from one to the other. Now again, 20 miles maybe doesn't feel that far in a world with cars, and we drive 20 miles without thinking about it. But that's a long walk. In fact, I I did a little work this week to figure out what's 20 miles from this building. Like if you were going to walk out this front door and walk to 20 20 miles, what could you get to? Well, you get to Worlds of Fun uh, up north. It's about a 20-mile walk from here. Uh, If you wanted to go south, you could walk all the way out to the Overland Park Arboretum, all the way down at what is it, like 179th Street. It's 20 miles, a long way to walk. It it probably would have taken him about eight hours To do that walk, this is a big journey. Again, to kind of put that in terms of of us and driving, it would be like hearing, okay, my child is ill. There's someone who can help them and they're in Chicago or Denver and I'm gonna get in the car and drive eight or nine hours nonstop to get there, hoping that they'll come back with me to Kansas City to help my child. So this is the picture we have. This official's at his home. He's made the decision, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Cana tomorrow, and I'm going to try to meet this teacher and see if he'll come back with me, help our child. He knows he has to get up early. He's probably get up at 4 a.m., 4.30 in the morning to make that, that walk so he could be there by noon to meet Jesus in the city square in Cana. And he says goodnight to his wife, looks in on his child, tries to go to sleep, but you can imagine he doesn't sleep well. He's listening for his son's breathing throughout the night. Finally he gets up, four in the morning, looks at his son one last time, knowing it might be the last time he ever sees him alive, and walks out the door to make this eight-hour trek to see if he can find this teacher who might be able to help him. Can you imagine that walk, those eight hours, starting in the dark, walking alone, praying, pleading, worrying. You, know, you can't text and check in and see how things are going back home. You just got to wonder. And, and you got to think too, as he's on that journey, this is an eight-hour trip. He knew that Jesus was supposed to be there, but maybe he left, right? I and mean, this, is, this is a long trip, and, and Jesus is on the move, and so he knows too, I can get there, and this guy might be gone. And so exhausted and desperate and depleted, he's flooded with hope. When he walks into the city square and he sees a group of people gathered around someone he can only imagine must be this teacher. And you can imagine him just pushing through the crowd, interrupting, I don't know if Jesus is talking, the crowd's talking, but interrupting everyone and saying, Jesus, you have to come and help me. My son is dying. If we leave now, we can maybe make it back tonight. You've got to come with me. Come to Capernaum. My son's dying. Will you help him? I've heard the stories. I believe you can heal him. Now Jesus' response to him is actually pretty shocking. But before we look at that response, I just want to pause here and make an observation this morning. And that is that true faith trusts Jesus in desperation. True faith trusts Jesus in desperation. It's often our need that drives us to Jesus. And I just want you to know, that's okay. (laughs) To go to Jesus when you're desperate. Because I mean, the reality is, as humans, so often when things are going well in life, when it seems like things are working out, how we would hope, that it's easy for God to kind of slip into the background. Not to consciously or intentionally ignore him, but we just don't think about him that much. But then there's moments that come and when we reach the end of what we know how to do we go in desperation to Jesus and say help I need help and I'm sure that this dad, as, as a royal official, was used to being able to solve problems. I mean, that's probably his job, right? He was a, a problem solver, and he had probably some measure of financial security. He probably had, you know, he's working in this government. He had some measure of power and influence and access to others who did as well. But when it came to his son, those abilities of power and resources, they, they did nothing to help him with this disease that was racking his son's body. And so, in faith, he goes to Jesus, and and it's the beginning of faith. I mean, he doesn't know if Jesus is going to be there. He doesn't know if Jesus is going to heal. But but he he goes to Jesus. That's always the first step. And I think sometimes we think for our faith to be real that it has to somehow be one hundred absolutely certain, with no doubts, with no question, with no hesitation. And I just want you to like that is not the case. If you are going to Jesus, he will receive you. And, and the very essence of faith is trusting in something that, that isn't yet fully present. I mean, Jesus, or the Apostle Paul in Romans says that, you know, if we don't we don't hope for what we already have. We hope for what we don't yet have, what we don't yet see. And so, so faith means going to Jesus often when we don't. No, maybe when we're not fully confident, even in how he'll respond or what he'll be able to do, but we go to him. This place is uncertain, we go to him anyway. It's what this dad did. And Jesus responds. But like I said a moment ago, his response is a little bit surprising. In fact, it almost seems a little, a little tone a little harsh if you look at again at the end of verse 47 and into verse 48. So, so, when the man heard that Jesus had come to Judea, to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So, Jesus said to him, oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, I'll come right away. No, so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's like, whoa, Jesus. That doesn't quite feel like the response that we expect from Jesus in this moment. What, what is Jesus doing here? Well, it's kind of his way, I think, of saying do you really want me or you just want what I can do from you? Do you really want to follow me or do you just want to see a show? Now, I think key to understanding this text too is understanding that, that in that verse, when Jesus says to him, unless you, that word you is plural there, unless you all, he's not just speaking to the man, he's speaking to the whole crowd of people who are gathered around, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And I think Jesus is primarily speaking to that crowd of people who have gathered around, but he is also speaking to this man. Jesus knows what's in this man's heart. And in contrast to the crowd, which does seem like they are just there, we're going to unpack this more in a moment, to see a show, to see Jesus do some sign. They want to just catch Jesus doing a miracle. In contrast, it seems that this guy has a real seed of faith in his heart. And Jesus, through this statement, harsh though it may seem, is, is watering that seed. He's drawing out. He, are you going to persist? Or are you going to walk away? Are you going to keep coming to me, or are you going to walk away? Encouraging him to persist, to keep pressing in. I love what uh, the Dutch theologian and New Testament commentator Herman Ritterboss <laughs> says about this passage. He says, ultimately, Jesus cannot give us healing without giving us himself the, the only way you can receive healing is to receive Jesus himself. It's not a gift He can give apart from giving you himself. Ritterboss writes this. He says, It has therefore been correctly remarked that Jesus' answer in verse 48 was not so much an accusation as a challenge. In other words, Jesus did not only want to give the son back to the father. He wanted to give himself Which brings us to the second observation we have this morning, and that is that true faith in Jesus trusts Jesus' word, not his wonders. True faith in Jesus trusts his word, not his wonders. Now, we may be drawn to Jesus because of his power to do miracles because we think that he can actually do something to help our situation, but, but true faith doesn't stop there. Because true faith can't have a consumer relationship with Jesus But we can't just come to him, get get the thing that we want from him, and then leave him behind. Right? Like that works great for a target pickup. You know, where you order what you want, you drive up to the spot, they they bring it out to your car, you show them your little number, you sign the thing, and you drive off. You never have to see that person again. That's great for a target pickup. It's not great for relationships with people, whether that is a friend, a neighbor, a spouse or the creator and sustainer of the universe. Jesus doesn't want a consumer relationship with you. He wants a relationship that's marked by covenant love, of commitment, of joy, of attachment. He wants to give himself to you. And I I know I'm this way though. It's so often it's like, but Jesus, I just need you to fix this problem but I've kind of got all the friends I need right now. I, I, I'm a little bit busy, so if you just fix this and maybe check back in in a little bit. After some of my friends move away or something, I'll be looking for somebody. At this point, I just my, my calendar's kind of full. It's so easy to treat a relationship with prayer in that consumer kind of way. I think this is why Jesus says this kind of seemingly harsh statement here because John actually tells us in verses 43 and 45, right before the scripture reading we heard this morning, that this crowd in Cana was a group of people who had been with Jesus in Jerusalem for the Passover earlier, and they had seen him do a lot of signs. They had watched what he had done in Jerusalem. And so it's like, they're, again, they want, to, they want the show again. They want to see what Jesus is going to do. They wanted to see him do more here in their hometown, of what he had done in Jerusalem. And John told us back in chapter 2 that they are not really interested in a relationship with Jesus. Look at this in verse 23 of John chapter 2. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem, at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them, because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. He knows what the crowd is there for. The question is, what's in the heart of this desperate dad who's come? Will he stay in the place of just wanting a sign? Wanting to see with his own eyes? Or will he press in? And we see in verse 50, in verses 49 and 50, that he does press in. He keeps asking. He isn't deterred. He isn't there for a show like the crowd. He is there for his son. Verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And then we get Jesus' response in verse 50. But notice, watch this, Jesus does ultimately give this man what he is asking for, but notice he doesn't actually give him exactly what he asked for. His request both times is, Jesus, come down with me. Come back home with me. Make the eight-hour trip with me to Capernaum so you can heal my son. Come with me. And Jesus doesn't come with him. He doesn't give him exactly what he asked for. Instead of going with him, he gives him a command and a promise. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. And this is the massive tension point in this whole story. Will this desperate dad, will he trust the promise of Jesus? Will he trust Jesus' word and go, or will he continue to demand that Jesus comes with him so that he can see him do the miracle? Will he trust in Jesus' word, or will he demand that he sees the wonder with his own eyes? Will he trust Jesus and what he has said, leaving without seeing, trusting Jesus' word rather than his wonders? Because you can't imagine that moment. I mean, this guy says, his whole request has been, Jesus, will you come with me? And Jesus says, Go, your son will live. And now he's faced with the choice do you, what do I do? I guess my only shot is to go. Which leads us to our third observation this morning, and that is that true faith trusts Jesus for the long walk home. True faith trusts Jesus for the long walk home. Can you imagine that walk? Again, this is an eight-hour trip. It's already noon. It's going to take him actually probably two days to make this trip home. And he doesn't know, right? He doesn't know with certainty what's going to happen. Jesus has given him this promise and he trusted Jesus enough to leave and to go home. He had met Jesus, trusted him, and that was enough. And this to me feels like such a picture of the Christian life in so many ways because if you're a Christian, this is your story, right? That we are all somewhere in between saying yes to Jesus, giving our life over to him, and seeing the fulfillment of all of his promises in our life. We are all on the long walk home. Every Christian is on that path between saying yes to Jesus and our long way home. And and for some of us, Jesus will answer some of our prayers while we are still on the walk. That's what he does for this man here. Listen to verse 51. He goes, he obeys Jesus, starts walking home, and then you see this in verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said yesterday at the seventh hour, that's one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. And the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. I mean, this this guy, he goes, he's not exactly certain how this is going to work out. He meets his servants on the way home and they say, yeah, your son is recovering. He's getting better. And he and his whole household believe. He got to see the answer to his prayer fulfilled while he's on the long walk home. But for many of us, and in many ways for, for all of us, we have to wait until we get home to see all of the promises fulfilled. So the question for us is, will you trust Jesus, his promise, his word, on the long walk home? And that's our next step, kind of our big takeaway from Today, is so that we need to trust Jesus, trust His Word for the long walk home. And I really emphasize we trust His Word, His promise. Why? Because I think there's something fascinating happening here in verse 50 in Jesus' response. The decisive moment in this whole story, John tells us that the man believed Jesus' Word and went. Now, the Greek word there is the word logos. He believed his word his logos why is that significant because how did john introduce this we'll look at verse 50 for a second the man believed the word the logos of jesus do you see that that jesus spoke to him and went on his way and what's amazing about this and I, this is not an accident is that this is how john introduced jesus to us back in chapter 1 verse 1 the very first thing he says about jesus is this take a look In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word, Logos, was with God, and the Word, Logos, was God. When this man trusts in Jesus' Word, he's trusting in Jesus. Jesus and His Word and His promise are inseparable. Jesus is the Word. To trust His promise, to trust His Word, is to trust in Him. And that's what this man does and it's what we are to do as well true faith trust jesus's word his promise for the long walk home the apostle peter another one of of jesus's closest followers one of john who wrote this book one of his friends wrote this he says he jesus has bestowed on us his precious and most magnificent promises so that by means of what was promised you may be partakers of the divine nature So what are Jesus' promises to us? If you are a Christian, if you've put your faith in him, what does Jesus promise to you? What is his word to you? Here are just a few of the many promises of Jesus. John 14, chapter 2 and 3, In my Father's house, Are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Here's another one John chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John chapter 6, verses 37 and following. All that Jesus, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's Jesus' promise to you. John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Jesus' promise to you. Chapter 16, verse 22, you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. It's his promise to you. And from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church, Jesus says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me all who are laboring and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. These are Jesus' promises to you and there are so many more. Will you trust them? These are things that Jesus says he will do. Will you trust his word? Will you trust his promise to you? My assignment for you this week to to kind of bring this down into everyday life is, is to pick a promise from the scriptures. Maybe it's one of these that we just read, or maybe it's another one that you know, another truth that you know from scripture. Maybe write that out, capture that in some way. And as you're entering into those places of difficulty at work, of difficulty in relationships and marriage and all the different things that we face and family and neighbors and all financial challenges, all of it. Can you keep reminding yourself of that promise on the long walk home i 'd actually love to hear what promises you you pick, and so if you want to send me an email i 'd love to hear about hey this is this is the passage this is the truth of scripture that I'm clinging to this week. I'd love to hear about that. And, and maybe you're at a place where you're like, Bill, actually, I don't know the Bible that well. And I'd love to have a promise from Scripture that speaks into my situation. I don't even know where to begin. Send me an email also. And, and me and our team, we'd love to help you find a promise. A word that you can cling to, that you can trust. Will you trust him? We trust him for the long walk home. And friends, I, I've come to the place in my own life where I was, I don't have any other choice. Where else am I going to go? Because if we think about this story of this father and his dying son, you know, we are not the father in the story. Every single one of us is the dying son who's in desperate need, who is perishing. But the good news of the gospel, friends, is this, that we don't just have a father who is willing to walk 20 miles for us. We have a creator who is willing to send his own son, not just 20 miles, but all the way from heaven to earth to become a baby who would grow up, who would die on a cross, who would rise again from the dead, who would ascend into heaven as the ruler of the world, who would move heaven and earth to heal you and to bring you back to life because he himself has defeated death. The prophet Isaiah tells us that this suffering servant who is Jesus would heal all of our diseases, all of our iniquities by taking those wounds onto himself. He says, by his wounds we are healed. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I know that far too often I wait until I am absolutely desperate to go to you, to the sun. That far too often I I treat that like a consumer relationship that I just need you to fix my problem so I can get on with my life without you. But I pray that increasingly for myself and for each one of us that we would trust you in all of life that we would cling to your promises for the long walk home. That we would have confidence because we trust that you have risen from the dead, that not even death can keep us from your love, and that whatever is happening in our life cannot be uh, because you don't love us or care about us. It may be awful, it may be evil, it may be the hardest thing we've ever faced, but we know that you love us, but cross is the testimony of that. So we cling to that in the valleys and still be able to praise you would you give us confidence that we have never walked alone? That even in the places where we have felt utterly alone, you were there with us. And would you strengthen our faith and encourage our hearts in that truth as we take communion together? In Jesus' name.